Good evening, Vineyard Church Cardiff. Woo! Welcome to the Crimbo Limbo evening service, one-off spectacular. Well done for making it here. I don't actually know what the date is, but I know that it's Sunday, so I know I'm in the right place. But you lot have all done fantastically well <laughs> to get here, to realise it's Sunday and make it here. I thought that it would be a bit quieter than it is this evening, so I'm a little bit overwhelmed up here, and I'm boiling. Um, I must be the only person in the world who sweats through their wrists, and I just want to roll all of my sleeves up, but I'm fine. Um, I think. <laughs> um, but welcome here. You are so welcome here. If it's your first time or your 500th, or if you're just visiting for a one-off, then you are really, really welcome. We hope that you had a very Merry Christmas and that you are enjoying this wonderfully weird middle bit of time. My name is Claire. Um, some people call me Bros because my surname used to be Brosnan. Um, sometimes it's like an all-one-word situation, so people call me like Claire Bros. Um, but I'm part of the team that makes the evening service happen here so, um, at the central site. You might recognize me from other roles that I play in church. Sometimes I'm at the info desk with the iPad. I'm like, can I sign you up to a small group now? Um, I also hand out the leaflets sometimes at the door. And sometimes I do the notices. Um, that's a role next to Paul. So I kind of stand here, and then he speaks, and then I stand here awkwardly, and then I speak, and it's a bit of a faff. But tonight it's just me, um, and I'm going to share a message about three short parables from the book of Matthew in chapter 25. Um, a parable is just another word for a small story with big layers of meaning. So I'm going to try to link each of those parable stories to some of the best bits about Christmas time and share why I think that each one of those stories has a discipleship truth for us for the other 11 months of the year. You're welcome. Um, I love Christmas. I'm trying to eke out the Christmas joy and cheer for as long as possible. Um, and so with that joy and cheer in mind, I'm going to be talking about the kingdom of God, heaven, and I'm also going to be dipping into Revelation. Christmas was about the coming of a Messiah but we are still waiting for that Messiah to return. I want to say something of the joy that we can find every day as we live in the middle time, the bit between Jesus, the baby of 2,000 years ago, and the Jesus of tomorrow when he returns to earth at the end of days. We are in a middle zone now, aren't we? In betwixtmas. Christmas has been and feels like ages ago, um, but New Year's is still yet to land. Some of you might have thought about putting the Christmas decorations away. Some of you are really weird. <laughs> um, but um, I really don't want to put the decorations down. We put them up really late this year, so I'd like to keep them maybe till the end of January, my birthday. No? No? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Sometimes I find that as you pack down the decorations and think about going back to normal life, that some of the childish glee of Christmas time, it kind of gets wrapped up as you put everything away. I don't know about you, but as I bubble wrap glass baubles and fight with fairy lights, I lose that sense of December that anything could happen, that joyful expectation and that hope that Christmas time brings around. What if, though, there was a different way to live this year? As I look down into 2019, what if Jesus had talked about the time that we'd be living in now and how he hopes that we'd spend this time? 
What if, in the words of theologian Dallas Willard, we could enter the eternal life now? Before I dive on into what I think that looks like, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I am really lucky because I get to work in two places throughout the week. When I'm not causing chaos in the Vineyard Church offices down in Splot, I am causing chaos on the other side of the city over in Panath. It's beautiful there. If you haven't been, do make sure that you check it out. I um, work in the hospice there, which serves the palliative patients of the city. So that's those who are terminally ill or those who are dying. It's a Marie Curie hospice, and I have the privilege of serving there as a chaplain. This role means that I get to have lots and lots of different conversations with people from all different walks of life. When you're sick, you're sick, and it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, old or young. At the hospice, you can see two lives side by side, both torn up and utterly changed by disease. In one double-bedded bay will be Mr. Lord of the Manor, next to Mrs. Jones from down the road. I get to see every subsection, strata, and classroom society, and I think each patient teaches me something different about the wonder of humankind. Invariably, I get to have quite a lot of conversations about life and death, heaven and hell, and good and evil. I think it might be my Catholic schooling, but I really love talking about heaven. I love reminding people that have told me about the Christ, their Christian faith that they are on the frontier of their next great adventure. With their, a new body to come, there will be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more needles. And it's not just Christians that I get to talk this stuff through with. I get to talk to people with all different kinds of beliefs about what they think the afterlife is like. People have some varied and interesting ideas about what is next. <laughs> When doing my theology degree, I wrote an essay about the fact that I don't think that we talk about heaven enough. And judging by the quality of some of those conversations that I've had, I really do think that we need to talk about it a lot more. Because waiting for the new heaven and the new earth is part of our identity as Christians, or as people of God. But heaven belongs to us today as much as it belongs to tomorrow. We are the people in between two great seasons of Advent. The people of the Old Testament waited patiently for the king to come, and now we find ourselves longing for him to come to us again. Only this time we have the Holy Spirit in us to help us out and guide us along the way. In Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, the message translation, Paul says that he marvels at the expectancy in which the believers at Thessalonica are waiting for the Son of God. It's what we're supposed to do. But what does it look like for us to wait with expectancy and soak up the present day? <clears throat> because Jesus gave us a hope to cling to for now as well as the time to come. He started making things new in this age, but he will continue to do so in the one that is to come when heaven falls to earth. So what can we hold on to in this between time? I'd love now for you to whip out your Bible or your phone and scroll to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Thank you. you should see three parables with titles, something along the lines of 
the ten bridesmaids, or in some translations, the ten virgins, the parable of the bags of gold, and the parable of the sheep and the goats. I'm going to pick out one key message from each of these that I think Jesus is trying to teach us about living in expectation. There'll be one verse from each of those parables that will come up on the screen behind us, but I'd really encourage you in the rest of the week to go back through the chapter and look at it properly because I don't have all night. (laughs) Um, The chapter is an absolute goldmine of heavenly wisdom, and I'm just going to pick out some nuggets. In context, we're coming towards the end of the book of Matthew, and it's just before Jesus is going to be crucified. So we find that in chapters 23, chapters 24, chapter 25, they're like snapshots of some of the conversations that Jesus was having with his disciples. It's kind of like a summary of some of his main headlines. He's saying, here is my kingdom. It's a startup at the moment. It's incubation. Let me explain it to you. If you're up for claiming your inheritance as a son and daughter of the king of the universe, then the kingdom can be yours too. When I return to earth, we're going multinational, corporate takeover, Apple style. But I just can't say when that will be. Sorry. Matthew 24:44 says you must get ready because the son of man will come, but you won't expect him. And that's a theme that we then see picked up again in Matthew 25. So, parable number one, and your nugget is, it's a party. This life is a party. It's not the, oh, guys, it's coming on for 10, and I've got work in the morning, and I want to go to the gym kind of party. This is a, have you got the stamina to make it through the night kind of a situation. I haven't been to one of those parties in a long time. But the first parable of Matthew 25 is a story about a wedding party. There are some bridesmaids, or in some translation, virgins, who are waiting for the groom to arrive before heading into the party. For some reason or another, the groom is later than expected, and the lamps that the girls have taken with them have burnt low as the night has dragged on. When the groom arrives, some have run out of oil entirely, and they've none left to burn to be able to see him coming. Five of the ten bridesmaids who were waiting were wise and brought with them the supplies to last. But the other five were foolish. The party begins, and those who are ready, with the lamp burning, are invited in. But the other five are sent to the co-op round the corner to pick up some spare oil to see them through to the end of the night. By the time they get back, the party is in full swing, and they miss their chance to come in. Their unpreparedness had cost them dearly. Every year, we celebrate Christmas on the 25th of December. And that date doesn't move. But sometimes, it comes around and we just feel like we're not ready. There's always something left to do, isn't there? A present left to buy or another thing left to cook. And I think that sometimes, it can feel like this in faith as well. There are these big, defining moments that come along, but yet we're just not quite ready. It's like God's inviting us into something or he's pushing us in a certain direction, encouraging us to do something. It can feel like the whole universe is moving you somewhere, but you're just not quite ready to commit. Spiritually, maybe you're out of oil. You didn't put in the time to top up your supplies and now you haven't got the energy to keep going, to keep shining brightly and to be a light for the world. We check out mentally sometimes for what feels like one hot minute and then the invite's gone. The world carries on turning and you miss the invite to that party. 
Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a party for those who have the stamina for the night. I sometimes feel like I don't have the stamina to keep going, and it's nothing to do with the fact that I've had a busy week. It's because spiritually I didn't take the time to top up my oil. I wish I had all evening to talk about what it looks like for you to top up your oil, um, but I think the reality is that it probably looks different for each of us. Our spiritual disciplines and practices will look different, but what replenishes you to be able to take on the world? What readies you for the coming of the king? I don't think that Jesus is literally referring to lamps in this story. He's talking about an inner fuel that keeps us burning bright as we wait for the party that's to come. As Christians, we're called to live out of more than the December season party thrill. We're called to live the whole year as if the groom is about to arrive and to make sure that we have the reserves to welcome him in. Moving on to the second parable. One of my favorite things about Christmas, sorry, not that sorry, is the presents. I love presents, especially if they include pajamas, comfy pants, or new socks. Thank you, Tom, you did really well this year. I just love comfy clothes. I grew quite fond of my comfy attire um, this year because um, back in October, I had abdominal surgery. And so for about six weeks, I couldn't really wear anything that wasn't elasticated. And then actually in the lead up to the operation, I had to wear stretchy things as well. So <laughs> it feels like most of the year I've been in something that's comfy. Um, I found that in the year of waiting, um, my experience of just longing for the surgery to come and then just sitting around waiting for my body to recover, that there were wonderful little gifts hidden in the frustrations and the sufferings. For me personally, the greatest gift that God gave me was that I feel that he taught me how to rest well. He taught me how to truly Sabbath because he showed me the discipline of doing restful things with intention as an act of worship to the Lord instead of because I've run out of steam. I found that in my enforced rest, I discovered a long buried love of reading. I used to love reading when I was a child and I would hoover up books. The town that I grew up in had a supermarket next to the library, so my mum used to drop me off and then go and do the weekly shop and then come and pick me up again every single week. But then I did English A-levels and I went to uni and you have to read so much for studying that I didn't really want to read for fun anymore. But now, 18 months out of university, I have finally had the chance to rediscover my love of books and literature. And I feel genuinely rested and replenished in doing so. I'm not sitting around doing, watch it, doing nothing, watching television, but I'm reading and taking things in. I found that where I work so intensely with people the rest of the week, my me time has to look like stepping back and doing something else. But as a result, I've actually found that I've been hearing God's voice in different places because when you read, you get to hear all sorts of different perspectives and see things from different points of view. I found that because my perspective is constantly changing or being sh shifted by the things that I've been reading, I'm hearing God's voice in new ways and at new points throughout my week. I've considered this to be the greatest gift of this strange and painful season of waiting. The second parable of Matthew 25 also talks about gifts. Some translation of, translation of the Bible call this parable the parable of the bags, and go, bags of gold, but others refer to it as the parable of the talents. 
I love that it's an idiosyncrasy of the English language that the word talent has two meanings for us. In this context, in this parable, it means a specific weight of money. But in general life, it also means a God-given gift or an ability, something that you've been blessed with. What was the favorite gift that you got this year? And what gifts has the Lord been blessing you with in this season of your life? Matthew 25 Second Story cautions us that there are investments to be made with the gifts that we've been given and that there are rewards to be sown and reaped. Verses 14 to 30 tell of a master who went away on a trip, leaving three of his servants, each with a small pot of money to be taken care of. The story's simple. When the master returns, he asks each of his servants how the talent or the bag of gold was used. Two of the servants have invested their talents wisely and found return. They have multiplied that which the master gave them. In both verses 21 and 23, the wise servants are celebrated and they're invited to share in the master's happiness. He praises them, calls them faithful, and then invites them to look after even more. The final servant, though, the third one, he's frightened and lazy. He hides his talent, uncertain of what to do. He fails to use his gift, and as a result, he doesn't see multiplication and he isn't regarded as faithful. There are presents available to us every day of the year when we think about that which God has given us and is asking us to use. We have been given gifts and talents worth so much more than pajamas and socks, but we have to share them. We have to find ways to use whatever it is that's unique to our characters for, for God's glory. He wants to see return on his investment, but not for his benefit, for his glory. When we do so, we get invited to share his happiness. And God's joy becomes our joy because we've chosen to partner with him. So, with presence every day and a party in mind, what else does Matthew 25 have to say about the kingdom of God? I think it shows us that when we do the Lord's work, every day is like an advent calendar. Advent calendars, be they chocolate, Lego, gin, give us a teeny tiny taste of the feast of Christmas. I think that one of the best parts of Christmas is the anticipation, the build-up. The third and final parable in Matthew 25, verses 20, in verses 31 to 36, gives nuggets about anticipation and how this middle season of our Christian lives are to be lived. Firstly, it gives us a foretaste of Christ's glorious return. It says when he comes back. And then it lets us know what we can do while we wait for him to come. Jesus in the parable describes kingdom behaviors as characteristics for the sheep that he is separating from a group of goats. He shares about a kingdom that has been prepared for us since the creation of the world. The sheep are invited to claim their inheritance in this kingdom, an inheritance that has always been theirs and that they chose to live in fully until this shepherd came along. The sheep are described as those who had fed the hungry, who had invited in the stranger, clothed the naked, tended to those in prison and visited the sick. Jesus tells them, truly, what you did for one of those, the least of my brothers and sisters, you actually did for me. Although Jesus is referring to the past tense of what the sheep had been up to, this story is a parable, 
which means that it has an applicable meaning for us today. He's talking in real time. The insinuation, therefore, is clear. When you do these things, it's kingdom work. When Here in the vineyard, we talk about the kingdom a lot because we believe that it's the primary message that Jesus taught. In abolition of the laws of the Old Testament came the initiation of a new pattern of living, the introduction of his kingdom. Mark 1 said the kingdom of God is at hand, and so we get to receive a foretaste of that kingdom now, an appetizer for the heavenly rule and reign that is established in fullness when Christ returns. As John Wimber used to say, it's not about pie in the sky when you die, but it's steak on the plate while you wait. Just like an advent calendar, because the kingdom of God is both now and not yet, and because it has been established in part by Jesus' coming, there's a taste of the magic of Christmas and the glory of the kingdom to be found in every single day because Jesus is right here with us. As we reach out to others, we essentially reach out to him. He gives us just enough to whet our appetites when we participate in kingdom things like the third parable describes or when we invest our gifts to the fullness of the potential of their potential like the second parable describes. I want to share with you my favorite story from work at the hospice this year. I met a lady who truly understood the preparedness required to usher in God's kingdom at every possible opportunity, even in her pain and her suffering. I met a lady at a bereavement cafe that we run at the hospice, and she had recently lost her husband. Her name is Faith, and she is a woman who has been in ministry her whole life. Her and her husband have led several different Salvation Army churches across South England and in South Wales. She told me glory story after glory story about people that she'd seen saved and people responding to the gospel in all sorts of different ways and places. She told me about over 20 children that had called her and her husband, mummy and daddy, since they'd first been married and how she'd loved every single one. As she told me stories of ministry, this lady came over to the table where we were sat and she sort of interrupted us. She placed her hand on my hero's shoulder and said, I'm sorry, I think I know you from somewhere. Faith said, oh, I don't think so, but you're very welcome to come and sit and join us. We carried on chatting and moved the conversation on to bereavement and other things. And then uh, after about 10 minutes, the second guest spoke again. Yes, I do know you, she said to Faith. And she reached down into her handbag and pulled out a hanky. It was well-loved and very well-used. She looked Faith in the eye and said, you gave me this hanky in a bus stop in Penarth 11 years ago when you saw me crying when I was alone. Thank you. I've never forgotten the kindness of a stranger that day. I have treasured this hanky ever since. It restores my faith in humanity. Faith smiled and looked a tiny bit smug and had this little twinkle in her eye that I think only old people can manage. <clears throat> Shortly after, that second lady left us and Faith told me that she had often given out hankies over the years. In fact, she thought that she'd given out at least over 100 in the last 50 years. She said, when I see someone who looks like they need a shoulder to cry on, or just an ear to listen, then I hand them one and I offer to pray with them. With that, 
an 82-year-old woman opened her handbag and showed me an open packet of handkerchiefs, some of which were already missing. In that moment, I felt like heaven had broken into my surroundings. I saw God's heart for people perfectly in his servant, who was ready at any moment to comfort the broken using all that she'd been given, a talent and a gifting with people and an expectation that God would meet her wherever they were. I hope that wherever you're at this evening, I've encouraged you to look ahead to the year to come with joy and with expectation because the kingdom of heaven is here. As post-Christmas blues settle in and as 2019 comes charging up to meet us, hold on to the hope, the joy and the expectation of the gift of Christmas time, the gift of Jesus, because kingdom life with Jesus is a party and there are gifts to be found every single day. The best news is, though, that he's coming back. He's going to fix this broken world, and he is making all things new. In the book Scattered Servants by Alan Scott, which was one from my Christmas holiday reading stack, Alan writes, he is making all things new, and it becomes our story that God is in the middle of the chaos, right with us, breaking through. Understanding the kingdom, understanding that the kingdom is now and anticipating the kingdom that is also to come helps us understand that Jesus' ministry is here to shape our every day. There are 11 months of the year that don't belong to the chaotic giddiness of Christmas, but your joy and your weight is not about a day of turkey or the story of a baby. There's a longing for Christ and an agenda to share in that can characterize every single day of the year. I'm going to finish with a short passage from right at the end of Revelation in chapter 21, when Jesus describes what the new heaven will be like. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time. The first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Maybe that could be your resolution, if you need one, <laughs> or your goal or your intention or whatever it is that you intend to use to recalibrate your life at the start of this year. I think it should be to live in the reality of heaven every day, joyful like a child at Christmas, because when Jesus returns, it will be better than the best Christmas that you ever had. But until then, we are in good company in our waiting. The whole of scripture, apart from the four gospels, is a people waiting for Jesus. The Old Testament wait for the Messiah and the New Testament wait for the second coming. There's joy in that wait and there's hope. And there's also things to be getting on with. So grab the gifts that he's given you, roll up your sleeves and have expectation for a party that soon. In the meantime, though, celebrate all the things of the kingdom that have already come and that we get to taste already.
I would love for you to stand because I'd love to pay joy and peace and expectation for you for 2019.